Hello, and welcome to Talking Thomas. I'm Orion. I'm Tony. And this is your podcast for everything related to the Thomas franchise, Shining Time Station, and all other related characters and uh, spinoffs. And uh, today we are going to be doing our first Shining Time Station commentary slash discussion on the first episode of Shining Time Station, which is a place like any, unlike any other. And uh, we should probably start by doing a little bit of a background uh, on Shining Time Station. Um, I know that uh, if we have any listeners out there in the UK, um, they might not be as familiar with Shining Time Station. Um, this was the tool by which Britt Alcroft was able to introduce Thomas to America. Um, on American television, for those who aren't familiar, um, typically most uh, children's series are done in half-hour blocks, um, so a little bit different than, uh, than UK television. Um, and so in order to introduce the series to an American audience, they needed to provide a, some sort of framework to work the stories in. So they decided to create uh, basically a sitcom uh, set in an uh, American train station, and uh, with lots of different uh, wacky, lovable characters uh, who we'll be introduced to here shortly. And each episode, most of them anyway, featured two Thomas stories. And the, uh, the episodes and their plot lines were uh, usually tailor-made to fit the Thomas episodes that they would be uh, revolving around as Thomas you know, came out first. So they were kind of reverse engineered that way to fit the Thomas episodes in. Sometimes uh, they were effective in that regard. Sometimes they weren't. Sometimes the Thomas episodes were kind of just thrown in there. Um, but, uh, but it certainly worked. And Thomas exploded in America in 1989 when this premiered. And, uh, and of course, this first season of Shining Time Station featured Ringo Starr as Mr. Conductor. So he redubbed the majority of the, 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 majority of the episodes that he did for seasons one and two um, that he had recorded the UK narrations for uh, Thomas back in 84 and 86, uh, respectively. And then uh, he came back three years later for this first series of Shining Time Station. And this one, this series was shot in New York, I believe. The following series were shot in uh, Toronto. Is that correct, Tony? That is, yes. Yep. Um, now, this this episode here, uh, a little note, is that this pilot episode, basically, um, uh, a place unlike any other, does not feature one of the primary characters of the series uh, ongoing, and and arguably the uh, other than Mister Conductor, the show's most popular character, which was Schemer. Or a schemer played by Brian O'Connor. He's not in this That's episode, uh, but he is introduced in the second episode. So, um, any other thoughts on Shining Time Station before we dive right in? No, I, I think you explained it beautifully, and uh, I just, yeah, I, I think we should just uh, get on with the episode. And if we think of anything else to do with the background, we can. These episodes are half an hour each, and so I, we have more than enough time to talk about uh, whatever we want to uh, to do with this series uh, throughout the episode. All right. So, uh, so I say that uh, we just uh, press play now. And here we go. Um, I like this intro quite a bit. And it, being born in 91, I was unfortunate enough to have been born in a time where they didn't, my local PBS affiliate, WTTW, didn't really show that much 
of season one. They mostly stuck to seasons two and three, or at least they did by the time that I was old enough to uh, recall. Uh, And among other things that changed between seasons one and two, the the intro was completely redone. Uh, the opening title sequence, I should say. Uh, but I do like this season one intro with the blue background. I call it a clip show opening because we see little clips from various episodes with the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, uh, just a great uh, a great introductory episode here. Um, and of course, we have Dee Dee Khan as Stacey Jones. And she most famous, famously was in Greece. And then uh, she was also known for being in the uh, hit American sitcom Benson, uh, which had, uh, I think had been on almost to the point of uh, to the point of starting uh, when Shabby Time Station started. It may have been off the air for just a few years. Right. And I think it was a good idea with um, with Didi Khan because she was fairly well known, but not like a huge actor. Uh, in fact, the only actor that's really well known in this first season, at least is Ringo Starr. Right. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is a, this is a, a great first episode and uh, a bit of a slower pace uh, than some of the later episodes, certainly. And, and definitely any children's television show today. I mean, they would, they wouldn't be caught dead putting a show this slow on, no. on children's television today, but, uh, especially a live action show. There are some animated shows that have a slower pace, but, but definitely not a live action show. Um, but this, um, but it, it starts out at a nice calm pace. It was a nice calming show and it was kind of meant to be, you know, an, a, a nice alternative to some more faster paced, uh, children's television shows of the era. Right. And I think that's part of the charm because, again, I, I, as an adult and as a young man, I was able to watch uh, season one thanks to the wonders of YouTube. Now, I think that's part of the charm of season one, though, is that up until I'd say about the midway point, maybe about two thirds of the way through, season one is fairly slow paced and it's sort of calming in a way, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. One of the nice things as well is that, uh, as we said earlier, the show was filmed in New York and then seasons two and beyond were filmed in Toronto. The thing about when you move a series, oh, there are sometimes quite a few changes, but one of the nice things about Shining Time Station, as we'll see when we get to season two and beyond, is that the look of the station, aside from some minor differences, didn't really change all that much. They did a very nice job of replicating pretty well everything i'd say yeah absolutely yeah i think just some minor color changes and and then some lighting changes as well the lighting uh, the lighting in this first season is more golden uh, and then later on it got a bit more bright uh um in, in season two and beyond right and here's our introduction to the first other uh, entertainment element of the show, which is the Nickelodeon. Um, and then later on, we'll see, of course, the, the primary other entertainment element other than the Thomas stories, which is the jukebox puppet band. We'll be introduced to them very shortly. Right. And then, of course, we will also uh, eventually see the, uh, the Anything Tunnel and the Magic Bubble. All right. of those we, we see throughout the series um, and just providing other 
other plot elements other than just the the station sitcom element and then the uh you know the the thomas episodes so right uh we saw the first use of the uh the cardboard cutout train coming behind the window there a great effect um, that really made it feel like a like a real train station and just left enough to the imagination. And that's what I always liked about this this series is that it was set in the station, um, of course, in a few um, episodes and then the, the one hour specials, which we'll get to much later. Um, those opened up the world of Shining Time Station and we saw the outside. But it was nice to kind of just leave the rest of the look, the locomotives and and everything to the imagination throughout the series. Right. And I do like, as much as we did say just a few minutes ago that this is a slower-paced episode, it's also very whimsical. The whole series has sort of a whimsical theme to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I, I can't quite uh, put my finger on what it, what it reminds me of, but it's, it's, it's just it's charming in a way. It's almost like a, it's like a Disney-fied train station. Right. Um, yeah. But and th- this mural here is great as well. It's a nice pan over that, and a, just a great piece of production design, really. Uh, and and much overall. and much of the mural will figure into the show at a later time. It's it, when you first see the show, and they do focus on the mural quite a bit in this first episode, uh, or at least there is a very nice pan of it, as we just saw. But it when you first start watching it, it's it's a mural you don't really think about how much they do use that mural in plot points later on. Absolutely. Yeah. And and we'll we'll get to those. Uh, This is here. We have the introduction to the jukebox puppet band uh, created by Craig and Olga Marin and the Flexitune company. And, uh, you know, just again, a great other entertainment element of the show. Um, and a nice musical element too, because um, you know the show did feature a lot of different music. Um, you know, not not so much on the Thomas side, but definitely with the jukebox puppet band, and as we mentioned, the Anything Tunnel and the uh, Magic Bubble. Right. So, uh, and also the Nickelodeon too. Yes. And I find it so fascinating, and with what you were saying about not being able to put your finger on what is uh, that Shining Time reminds you of. I don't think there is a show that's quite like Shining Time Station. I, I think, as the episode title says, it really is a place unlike any other. It's a show like any other, uh, unlike any other, rather. Uh, because what other show can you think of that mixes real people with stop-motion animation, a model railway set, puppetry, and then stock footage from old cartoons? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a great hybrid and it works. It, it really on paper, it sounds like it might not work. It sounds like, you know, people are crazy, right? but, uh, but it definitely, uh, it definitely works and it's, uh, and it's great. And I always liked the jukebox puppet band and I'm, uh, happy to be, uh, discussing them here and we'll get to discuss them in many other episodes, of course. Um, I, I believe they featured in every single episode, they did. uh, in some element uh, or another. And this first episode, they're singing, I've been working on the railroad. And later on, they would sing songs that weren't railroad related whatsoever. There aren't that many railroad songs, um, but, uh, but they use the song certainly to establish the, uh, the, the railroad theme of the show and really just hammer it home. But it's, it starts out well. And uh, Jonathan Freeman, who 
who plays Tito Swing, the piano player there. He would later on to uh, he would later on play Jafar in Aladdin. Yeah. And it was right around this time that he would have been at least starting recording for Aladdin because it came out only like a, a couple of years later, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And here we here we see Ringo Starr for the first time interacting with uh, with uh, Matt. Yes. And this is a a great introduction for him. He popped up just uh, uh, earlier in the beginning of the episode, which we didn't mention. But uh, right. But you, know, he's a, he was a great way to introduce the Thomas stories and. Uh, a very fun element for parents watching the show with their children because they would have known him obviously from the Beatles. So right. um, it was, a, it had a great cross generational appeal mm. for, uh, for the American audiences. I, I, I completely agree. I I've heard stories from other people I've spoken to who were around uh, to watch the episode for the first time in 1989. And they just, a lot of adults apparently just got a kick out of seeing the name Ringo Starr and then seeing Ringo as a miniature conductor. Absolutely. And he does quite a good job. He's very different. And now, of course, he is technically playing a different character to George Carlin to what he would later do. Um, I would say that George Carlin is almost more recognizable as Mr. Conductor. But I do think Ringo, for the feel of season one, is is very good. Yeah, very, very calming, soothing voice. Um, and um, a lot less... I would say less, less out and out comedy um, in this in this first season. Um, right. You know, the, the, there's still some funny moments, but uh, but not necessarily quite as funny. Now, I definitely envy the experience of anyone who got to watch this. Um, you know, and and all of the American audience uh, who would have seen this for the first time and their first time ever seeing Thomas. Um, you right. know, because the Railway series was not published in the u.s at least as far as i know up until that point um except you know maybe if it uh, you know the occasional thing had popped up but i I don't believe it had um and not in 89 then this would have been the first time that anyone would have ever seen the tv series in america so just amazing and thomas exploded in america it took it took uh, you know just a little bit of time but by the mid 90s i mean thomas was as big as as ever so uh, right. it really uh it really helped to launch thomas in america um and eventually thomas of course became yeah eclipsed the popularity of the show and uh more people knew thomas just from the videos the video uh releases that featured you know uh six to eight episodes on each on each tape as opposed to uh the individual stories that were shown on shining time station so the the legacy of the of Thomas, the series obviously still lives on in, in the U.S., but Shining Time Station has sadly been uh, pretty much forgotten. Right. Um, the, speaking of uh, the VHS, is it is fascinating because I do think that uh, uh, the Bird Alcroft uh, company uh, did try to capitalize on the VHS sales because in season three and a little bit in season two, I know that there's like one or two from season two. Uh, but in season three, I'd say a good third of the episodes of Shining Time Station were released on VHS. And I think it's the Red Allcraft company trying to capitalize on the VHS sales from how well they'd done for Thomas the Tank Engine and hoping that uh, that Shining Time would do uh, well also. Absolutely. So, uh, 
Now, here, of course, we do have the first episode of Thomas, which we cover more in depth uh, during our first episode. Our, for our first episode of this podcast, rather. Absolutely. Um, but this would be, you know, this would be the, the first uh, U.S. narration uh, that we hear Ringo do. Um, and now he doesn't, he doesn't redub all of his episodes for seasons one and two. And I guess we should explain for, uh, for anyone who's not familiar with Shining Time Station, the first season of Shining Time Station used episodes from both season one and two of Thomas, because yes. at that time, this is in 1989, they already had two series of, of Thomas um, uh, completed, uh, series, series one in 84 and series two in 86. So they had a whole library of, of already 52 episodes of Thomas to use. And this first season of Shining Time Station has 20 episodes, each one having two, uh, two Thomas episodes. So they were able to use 40 of those at least, um, and then uh, they also did a, uh, uh, as we'll discuss later, they did a one-hour special in between the, in between the uh, the end of series one and the beginning of series two, called "Tis a Gift," and that was Ringo Starr's last appearance as Mister Conductor, and that featured a few more Thomas episodes as well, some of the Christmas-themed episodes. Right. Uh, I, I will say, uh, in fact, you bring up "Tis a Gift," and I'll go into this more in depth when we do get to it. But I, I do want to say. Tis a gift up until young adulthood or teenagehood, I should say, was really my only exposure to season one of Shining Time Station. As I said, I didn't grow up watching it. Uh, my local PBS affiliate didn't really show the season one episodes. They mostly showed seasons two and three. And so I had the video Tis a Gift from a quite a young age. And I remember wondering who Matt and Tanya were because I'd never seen them before. I was more familiar right. with the characters in seasons two and three. Um, but I, I have since gone back, and I believe I've watched uh, pretty much every episode by now. And, you know, I do have a special place in my heart for Matt and Tanya. They, uh, they're different than uh, the later children are, but, and, and I think that that's good. There is quite a difference between uh, seasons one and uh, then two and beyond. Uh, and I think that's good, you know, because I think the show does show some uh, evolving. The show evolves as it goes on. Definitely. And just to provide some context, um, this episode premiered on PBS, which for those unfamiliar is, is an American uh, television network. It's, it's public television. And this premiered on January 29th, 1989. Yes. And here we have the introduction to two more of our main characters, uh, Harry and Tanya. Yep, and uh, and and it see uh, yeah, this is Harry's only season at uh, Shining Time Station. Uh, he's later replaced in the uh, second season and beyond with the character Billy Two Feathers. Right, and so again, growing up. I had no knowledge of Harry. I, I didn't know that there was ever a um, another engineer aside from Billy Two Feathers until I saw Tis a Gift. And even then, Harry's not in Tis a Gift. So, right. Um, but it's interesting watching this first episode. It's, it's when you see the friendship between Matt and Tanya in later episodes of the series progress. They don't exactly start off as friends. 
Right, absolutely. So, um, and here we have our. That's right, because the handle had broken off of the uh, Nickelodeon earlier, and Tanya repairs it with a bobby pin. I was never. I mean, I, I would say that the that the later char- later children characters in uh, the the second season and beyond were, I would say, a bit more uh, exciting and a bit more well written for than than Matt and Tanya. Right. I always like this song, um, and this uh, is "Start Where You Are." Oh yes, uh, which is a, a nice little. A nice little song, and again, you know, it it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it would work on paper. Uh, you know, within within ten minutes, you know, we've had a, a, a live action sitcom, a, a a puppet band singing a a song, a British model animated TV show, and then uh, now this uh, random basically music video right <laughs> um that's very relatively unrelated to anything and again just a, a piece of stock uh footage and music i do believe i mean i don't believe that every single one was intentionally uh shot for each episode this one might have been since it was the first one but this was filmed at the uh the keensburg amusement park in new jersey oh wow yeah but no, uh, you're you're quite right when you say that not all of them are uh, specifically for Shining the Time Station. In fact, many of them, particularly the animated ones, are uh, much older animations. The live action ones are more recent, some of them at least, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. So, but but I I do like this as well. Uh, this start where you are. It's it's quite fun. And it is nice that we get a little bit of everything in the first episode. You know, we get the setup of the train station. And, you know, Stacy, Matt, Harry, Tanya. We get almost everything. We wouldn't get everything until episode two. Uh, of course, we'll get into that later. But uh, we do get a beautiful setup so far. Absolutely. Yep. And it's, I mean, it's almost, it's almost like a variety show. I mean, in terms of, in terms of what is on there, it's just rather than having different acts come in there, it's all through different, basically mechanical devices. Right. Um, in, in a way with the jukebox and the, and the picture machine. And then obviously uh, the Thomas stories are told uh, by Mr. Conductor, but. Right. And this is one of the few times that we do see the waiting area beyond uh, the door to Harry's workshop. Um, they they kind of uh, uh, slim down the set later on, um, so it doesn't go as far forward. Yes. And again, something something about this workshop just very charming. Um, you know, just uh, just very old fashioned. Just something very nice about it. Oh yes. I always liked the workshop set, uh, regardless of who is running it. I do think the workshop set is one of the coolest sets that Shining Time has. There's so much to look at. Uh, there's so much to do in it. It's a very busy set, but it's not overwhelmingly busy. Definitely. So, and here we have the second appearance. Well, 
second major appearance of Mr. Conductor, getting ready to tell the second of two Thomas stories, which again, for me, is something uh, a little out, not out there, I shouldn't say out there, but it's something a little different because later seasons, especially season three, tended to only have one episode, whereas season one and most of season two did have two episodes, or Thomas stories, rather. And these are these are actually a bit close together. They weren't necessarily as close together in some of the other uh, in some of the other episodes, um, right? Uh, to, to to sandwich the Thomas episodes so closely. Um, a, a part of that too is that there's more character interaction in the later episodes because of the introduction of Schemer, um, and then in the other uh, later episodes that they had uh, uh, Becky and and some of the other children. So right. But it is interesting uh, because this, as I've said, this first episode is really the introduction to basically everything. And so things that would have been more padded out and uh, there is more meat in later stories. Uh, There's more substance to later stories, I should say. Uh, So it is interesting that most of this first episode is, well, of course, just introductions to for viewers in the U.S., this is an entirely new thing. You know, I mean, there's, as I've said, uh, there's never been a show like this uh, before or since. And so this, from what I've, by all accounts, this was really something special when it came out in 1989. Absolutely. So, And, of course, the episode that uh, uh, pretty much for uh, for a lot of season one, um, the episodes followed in the order that they were originally told and uh, and released in the UK. Apart from later in the the season, they they started pairing up uh, season one episode or you know with season two episodes and, and so on. So right. to, to make the most of their the library, as I said, of fifty two episodes that they already had. So, um, but uh, but they you know they they really did a good job of of making the most of, of what they had at the time. Uh, and then of course, for the second season uh, and beyond, they had uh, many more episodes to work with for the second season with, with George Carlin as Mr. Conductor, they had a whole new season of 26 episodes. So. Right. 26 Thomas episodes. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. But this episode here, of course, is Edward helps out. Uh, another another one which we covered in our first ever uh, podcast episode. Though it's interesting because, as we said, I believe we said this at the time, is that this would have been how American children would have seen these episodes first, and then later, I think, I think the first VHS probably came out within a year of the first season of Shining Time Station. Uh, uh, yeah, I believe in, in 1990. Right, exactly. So a year after Shining the Time Station came out is when the Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends videos started coming out. So for the first year, this is the format through which people would have seen Thomas. And so you didn't have eight episodes in a row. And my understanding is that maybe for budgetary reasons or maybe it's just the way PBS works, PBS at the time didn't really do reruns all that much. They, I think they were allowed to rerun them like once or twice a year. 
Right, which actually is, is uh, you know, of course, is, is quite similar to the way that UK television uh, works, at least, you know, for, the, um, f- for a lot of it anyway. Because uh, in, in a way, PBS operates more similarly to, uh, to UK television um, and specifically the BBC. Right. Uh, then, and of course, Thomas was not on the BBC, it was on ITV, but, um, but it was uh, more similar to that model than other American television state uh, networks such as NBC, ABC, CBS, and so on. So, um, and of course, Shining Time Station would later air on other networks. Um, it, it later aired on uh, uh, Fox Family, uh, notably, the, the Family Channel, uh, which eventually, through a series of mergers and acquisitions, became ABC Family and now Freeform. But it, it was on there for a time. Um, and I, some Thomas episodes did air on Nick Jr. Um, yes. during the Thomas and the Magic Railroad era to promote that film. Yeah, in the run up to Magic Railroad, there were. I forget which ones, but there was uh, about two or three handfuls of uh, Shining Time episodes that did air on Nick Jr. So, and Matt, of course, is played by uh, Jason Wooliner, uh, and yeah. he uh, he his major other credit at the time was uh, same year 1989 he was um the um the bratty kid in weekend at bernie's the cult uh, cult classic film and uh, and now he uh, is a writer for he's written for some adult swim shows right. um and uh, uh and i believe he's he might have done some directing as well but uh and this is again basically a variety show. I mean, now we have some banjo music and tap dancing, so right. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting. They really were just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck uh, for this uh, for for this episode. So, and, and a lot of it did stick as well because Shining Time would continue to have almost a performer of the week or a guest of the week. Rather, uh, they weren't always a performer. They didn't always have like a stunt. Uh, sometimes they were just a secondary character who was brought in to uh, get a storyline moving. Uh, there would be uh, later uh, later storylines where uh, quote-unquote villains, if you can call them villains, were brought in. In fact, there were some episodes where the cast doubled up on roles and played uh, one, two, two versions of their character. So, mm-hmm. it was fascinating and harry of course does agree because that's that the main conflict of episode one is will harry agree to you know work at shining time with stacy and of course he does absolutely now, at Tan- least for one season <laughs> exactly now tanya is played by nicole leach um and i don't recall much of what she's done since Shining Time. I know neither uh, neither of them have any, had any major roles that I know of. I don't think they did anyway. Yep. But then... and so that was that was episode one. Um, and this uh, this uh, credit sequence here um, is a nice uh, again a, a nice uh, just a, a, a nice film of a large American steam locomotive, um, which, you know, at the time and, and still, you know, those aren't common sights in America as they are uh, still with 
so many heritage railways in the UK. So uh, definitely people in the, the UK had many more opportunities to see a steam locomotive than, than we do here in the US. Right. And, and still do, really. But. Right. That, that last shot before the credits started rolled and that last shot of the four of them standing in the station and I believe uh, Stacy utters Throughout season one, and it does show up a few times in later seasons, but it's more of a thing in season one, uh, where Stacy quotes her grandmother in saying, there's just something about this place. And there, there definitely is. There is. <laughs> and it is also quite interesting, too, that the you can see in, you saw in the credits there that the episodes were listed under their UK titles, Thomas and Gordon, Edward and Gordon. They weren't given their US titles until the US VHS releases of course, later on, because they're not given titles on the, um, you know, with the, in Shabbatov Station. Right. But, uh, but they were given their, their U.S. titles for, uh, for the first VHS release in America in 1990, which was Thomas Gets Tricked. And Edward Helps Out was uh, the second episode. But yes. Right, so that was uh, the first episode of Shining Time Station. And as we're doing with Thomas, the tank engine, we will be doing uh, full commentaries of, I believe, every episode. Uh, of course, for Thomas, we're doing through series seven and then possibly a few here and there later on. But uh, with Shining Time, because there are only three seasons, I believe we're doing all three of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully the, the one hour specials, um, of course, the uh, you know, something must be addressed here. The availability of Shining Town Station is not that of Thomas. Um, right. So um, but uh, but uh, but we make do <laughs> and we hope that someday Shining Town Station could get a, uh, a streaming release. The 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 realistic nature of the world now is that a, a, a DVD or Blu-ray release is not. Uh, is not terribly feasible, but uh, nope. but streaming is is always a possibility now. Um, it's right. just the way that the world has has gone, and um, something that we didn't mention too is that uh, the co-creator of of Shining Time Station is a uh, Rick Sigelkow. Yes, um, and uh, he he formed Quality Family Entertainment with Brett Alcroft to uh, to produce and distribute Shining Time Station. But um, but his influence obviously is great on the show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wanted to give a little shout out to him. And, and uh, there is, I believe, a great interview with him on the uh, Soto Island fan site. There is. So definitely uh, go check that out. And he was also in the, uh, the uh, 70th anniversary uh, Thomas documentary as well. Right, he was, yes. Uh, well, I think we've pretty well covered the first episode um it was a fantastic episode fantastic start to the series and it would really just go up from here definitely definitely um you know and uh you know and for you know for some people shine time station might not hold your attention as much as uh as you want it to um and and uh, no fault there it is it's it's made for it was made for its target audience in the uh you know the late 1980s and the early 1990s so it is it is definitely a product of its time it's a product of pbs which is not uh as commercial not as fast-paced as other uh as other networks um that wasn't at the time and still isn't um so you'll bear that in mind but uh but it's certainly worth watching to preserve this time period 
of the introduction of Thomas into America. And really, without this introduction of Thomas into America, the franchise as it exists, it wouldn't exist today. Right. I mean, we can without without being in America, it would have never taken off around the world the way that it did. Um, it would probably be remembered fondly as a nice as a nice television show, um, you know, of the eighties, uh, such you know, like, uh, you know, a, an example might be, um, Postman Pat right. or, uh, Fireman Sam. Now those still exist, of course, but really only in the UK, they never really took off over here. Right. So, um, and again, mostly as a, as a, a smaller children's television series. So who knows? But, uh, exactly. but we we can only speculate, and of course, during the time that uh, Britt Alcroft was over here in America, working on Shining Time Station, David Mitten and the rest of the Clearwater Features group were working on Tugs. Exactly, they they definitely were, yes. Which we will certainly have to discuss at a later time. I'm sure we will. Uh, well, thank you all for joining us uh, for the first episode of Shining Time Station. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed it, and uh, we'll be doing more of that in future. So uh, until next time, uh, bye for now.